and and the fact that she went on and then did Lord of the Rings humor after that, but it was still the Batman thing that that killed me the most. That says a lot. Her mind is insane. (laughs) Like, I was like, I realize you're on Hannibal and Hannibal is supposed to be the smartest person on the show, but probably you (laughs) as an actual person is smarter than anybody else on this show. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I, I would agree. Oh my God. Actual it was... comedic genius. She's, you you all a, need to watch it. Amazing. I will. Genius. Okay. I know we have to get started. <laughs> but yes, Wundaba, amazing. Ich bin at bat bat. I want that bat on bat a t shirt. Ich bin bat bat. Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an in-depth episode-by-episode discussion of Brian Fuller's Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am your host for this episode, Lisa K. Weber. Um, As always, I am joined by my beautiful Popsicle crew. First up, Claire Thorne. Oh my gosh, how excited are you to talk about this episode today? Can we get started? Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Our producer, Philip Kelly, how are you doing? I'm I'm well. I'm here for it. Awesome. Justin Peniston, are you ready? I don't know if I could possibly be ready, but yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) And lastly, my darling love, Kelly Sue Milano. Um, I am never ready to talk about this asshole, so let's do it. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Well, before we dive in, we are going to hear a recap of The Great Red Dragon, as read by Philip and Justin. Take it away. We have arrived at the first of the final six episodes, and we get to meet that one big baddie we all knew was coming, Francis Dollarhide, the deranged janitor, a.k.a. the Tooth Fairy, a.k.a. the Red Dragon. Uh, This guy trumps pretty much every other creepy guy we've seen so far, lives in an attic, is obsessed with the painting of a dragon, and does psychotically long and drawn-out sets of vinyasa flow. Add this to him getting the great red dragon and the woman clothed in sun tattooed across his entire back and buying a set of crooked dentures, and you, sir, have yourself some lunacy. Also, he murders entire families. This episode picks up three years after the events of the last episode, which means everyone got a haircut. (laughs) Hannibal has been institutionalized at the Baltimore Hospital for the Criminally Insane, which is now run by the poorly coiffed Alana Bloom. Revenge is sweet. Because Frederick Chilton resigned following almost losing his face. Ooh, well done. And becoming a best-selling true crime author. Good for him. Hannibal's cell is all fancy with bookcases and a desk, another accoutrement, and I guess he's still allowed to cook because he's having dinner with Frederick and serves him blood chocolate in an orange peel. This is Hannibal's world. We're all just living in it. Frederick shares with Hannibal that he's writing a new book on this Francis fellow who has been nicknamed the Tooth Fairy. He asks Hannibal what he thinks and says he thinks the guy doesn't like being called the Tooth Fairy. Fascinating insights. We can see where this is headed. Next, Chilton chats dandily with Alana before she brings him down a shiny peg by letting him know that Hannibal has published several articles about Chilton being full of shit. Chilton, being full of shit, responds saying that he suspects this new killer will inspire Hannibal to keep himself interesting again. A lot of time is spent watching how crazy the Tooth Fairy is. And because this writer refuses to illuminate any sideways actions taken toward kids, go watch for yourself. 
Jack finally goes to see Will following the Tooth Fairy's most recent murder. Will is now married to Molly, AKA my girl crush Nina Arianda, and lives with her and her 11-year-old son. Upon his Jack request for his assistance, Will says very understandably, hell no, I'd rather die, and I almost did several times. Jack, being the manipulative, boundaryless person he tends to be, appeals to Molly by showing her crime scene photos of the murdered family. Straight to jail, Jack. That said, it works. Molly encourages him to leave in hopes that his encouragement will keep other families from turning up dead with mirrors in their eyes. Ugh. Cut to Will heading to the crime scene in the middle of the night alone. I swear to God with this guy. Again, I won't describe one goddamn thing about this because it's horrifying and terrible. Thanks, Thomas Harris. Luckily, we're saved by Zeller and Price, who together with Will deduce that the Tooth Fairy wants to see himself in his victim's eyes. He wants to witness his own power. He all, he's also a, a biter, uh, like literally. They use bite marks from the victims and from a legit baby bell cheese wheel that he snacked on while murdering to replicate that same set of fucked up teeth he bought in the beginning. There's no escaping Zeller Price. Knowing what he knows now about the Tooth Fairy, Will expresses to Jack that in order to catch this one, he must regain a state of mind that he lost. Jack is like, you're not saying. And Will is all, oh yes, I'm saying. He needs to see Hannibal. So of course we see Will approaching Hannibal in that same chapel in Palermo in his vast mind palace. In real life, Hannibal stands in his asylum issue romper behind his asylum issue plexiglass. He turns to face Will and taken straight from Science of the Lambs, offers the most glorious hello will ever spoken hard to make these ones funny y'all this dude is the um, worst. well yeah it's like we're we're like so deep in shit right now i'm, I'm fairly certain i did laugh out loud at one point you though, did so you did yeah please we got one <laughs> yeah listen everyone got a haircut <laughs> and they turn up did yeah like not a fan of the Hannibal prison haircut personally, but whatever. We can talk about that later. Anyway. Uh, I'm not a fan of the Alana Bloom, you know, I'm running things haircuts. So, you know. Yeah. Listen, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> they had to show us somehow that it's been three years. Time has passed. <laughs> All right. Anyway, damn. So um, I really just kind of want to you know let's talk about the characters and we're gonna start with mr francis dollarhide the debutante the tooth fairy the grd the grd not a single word in this episode but oh man that body yaddy yaddy work so let's go into it claire he what do you have to say a, he doesn't speak a word he doesn't. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't even see. That's how good he is. I didn't even yeah. notice. I didn't. That. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah, either. Richard motherfucking Armitage, y'all, bringing it. Dang. Oaken, Oaken Thorn Shield. I'm just putting that out there. Hey Oaken. Hey Oaken. Bringing that Thorn Shield magic. <laughs> I love uh, Richard Armitage. I love him. I have since i saw north and south the amazing period piece in which Claire, he is very, what's up i see you thank you <laughs> in which he is very very grumpy but learns how to unbutton the top of his shirt so it's it's just yeah it's good it 
you know, the, this, this show has a hard thing to do in coming to the culmination of a series, which did they know, Justin, um, please be factual or find facts for me, give me facts about, did they know they were coming to the end of the series at this point or? While they were making the episodes? Yeah. I don't believe so, but maybe. I don't believe so. But in, I don't if think, I remember I don't think, correctly, because I, I was also would have ended the way it did if they knew it was the series finale. Yeah, if I remember yeah. correctly, the cancellation was announced after, after. the season aired. Mm. Well, regardless, but, no, it was, it was already like it, there was already talk about like we don't know. Yeah. So just know that and don't say too much for Phil's sake. I think right, we. Right. I think we went into. I think they announced it before the season aired, but after it was clearly produced. Like, I think they announced it like right before the season aired. Yes, well. I think. Regardless, regardless, this this show gives itself a lot of challenges, right? Like you can't, you, we start off with really engaging story content around really bad guys, right? I mean, we've just been through Mason Berger. So like, where do you go in terms of like, okay, we now need to present the audience with a character that is going to be, is going to feel like bigger than ever. And I get that this character has been there, that it's been created, um, it's been presented, it's been performed before, et cetera. But wow, does this character deliver? It's just a whole different thing. You, you, it, he hits differently than I think any other serial killer that's presented in the show. Um, and I'm much more fascinated about like trying to work out what's going on in his head, the psychology of it. Um, also the abs of it. <laughs> and the butt yeah. of it and the, can, and the back tattoo why don't we tattoo, stop there for a minute and just really dig in and the back <laughs> tattoo yeah mm-hmm. like like it's 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 kind of the same thing as with Hannibal where you're like equal parts really fascinated like if it's not an attraction attraction it's a fascination attraction that is mm. layered it's like the icing on it is revulsion and horror and terror at the same time, but it hands down my favorite, like bad guy, bad guy, but bad, mm-hmm. bad guy, like <laughs> not anti-hero, bad guy, bad guy. Just on bad. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, just bad. And I'm not going <laughs> to ignore the irony that my favorite part of the storyline, um, as is depicted in the titles of the episodes going forward is a character that is heavily, heavily symbolized well, not even symbolize, it's like a direct connection to his right. motivation is, you know, the events of revelations in the Bible, which. Yeah, I had so kind of, years... I, I had definitely wanted to get your take on all of the religious overtones oh, I will of have, what's going on yeah. with him. So, yeah, I will, yeah. I will have many, many um, things to say about That's all exciting. of those things, which traumatized me all of my young adult life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Um, coming into this set, the first go around, because once I saw the title of this episode, I was like, oh, this guy. (laughs) 
um, because I saw Red Dragon in the theater uh, when it came out and I was mesmerized. I was just blown away um, by Ray Fine's performance in that film. Uh, and I still am. So I was like, okay, Armitage, what do you got? And wow, does this performance just go toe to toe? Um, and in some ways is even more, it um, was even more visceral for me because even watching Red Dragon, I was like, I know that that is Ray Fiennes of mm. the English patient. You know, <laughs> I didn't have anything to really project on to this actor in this role, right? And that really allowed me to be like, oh my gosh, he is the embodiment of horror and terror and evil. Um, it was, and is, these, this stretch of episodes are some of the more difficult for me to engage with for that reason, because his performance is so blindingly incredible. Yeah. And also uh, his abs. And all his of his butt. back muscles and his butt, um, and his, yeah, in the tattoo, and also the yoga. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I definitely like ever since watching this episode on this rewatch. I mean, I have recently taken up like making sure to do my like morning yoga every yeah. day that when I get out of bed, and since watching this one, it's like I can't not think. Yeah. <laughs> As do, I'm doing it, do I you can't do little dragon growls while you're doing it, or you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, I kind of want to like dog, add rawr, some rawr, extra, like you know, bone, yeah, yeah. weird movement. Well, and also and like this, <laughs> if if Francis Dollarhide can find the time to do the yoga sets, I really need to think about that. Well, a lot of this montage of him applying, yeah. The montage of him getting himself together had to take a long time because the tattoo mm -hmm. alone would have taken weeks. Oh my God, at least. And I loved the imagery that they did with the tattoo of like the slow-mo needle in the ink mm -hmm. and then in the skin. All of that was just gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. These montages are beautiful. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think this whole segment, especially this opening segment, but all this stuff with Francis Dollarhide, it really speaks to, um, I mean, and this episode was directed by Neil Marshall, who's yes, a pretty was. big time film yeah, director. He's great, you know. Um, and yet, this episode, like m almost more than any other episode of the show, in in its way, or any of the episodes thus far, says to me, this show could only have been made by Brian Fuller. Mm. Like he really knows how to juxtapose horror and sexuality and is fearless about sexualizing male characters you know as he should be you know as anyone should be but so many people don't in the same way you know what i mean and like i think also because this is you know not only did i see red dragon the movie but i, I read the book you know and is in the book is to me hands down Thomas Harris's best work, you know, um, and like this is it feels and maybe because it's just a more epically told story. I mean, this is a six episode story as opposed to one or two episodes, which most of the other things are. 
you know this just has this real like i don't know more solemn feel almost you know than some of the other stuff Mm -hmm. like like there is truth like dollar hide does he is scarier than the other serial killers who while delightful and amazing many of whom are a little more cartoonish you know you know that might be because they have less time to be developed you know in in a really scary way like we got to spend a lot of time a lot of soundless time or dialogueless time with dollar hide watching him you know and getting to know him in a purely visceral way you know um so amazing like from the opening sequence of like him kind of like looking at the joints in his hand to reading this article and being so like set on fire by this william blake painting and then like the whole seat the yoga sequence but the noise making in the mirror and then like Mm -hmm. him suddenly stopping because he feels like he hears something it's like just everything is so yeah. But I was just, well, I was just floored, floored I think, by I think, the development of this. I think part yeah. of the mystery here that it makes it interesting for me is that we're not getting to know this serial killer through Will's eyes or Hannibal's eyes, which most of the time in every other season we are. In this, we're being introduced to uh, a character that is without, outside of the range of what we already recognize or who is there to tell us how to recognize something. Um, and so the, it's allowing the storytellers to approach it from a very different style, mm-hmm. a very different type of way uh, to introduce us to this, which I think. And so when Will steps in, he's, we're, he's just as lost as we are. Uh, yeah. And that's one of the, it's one of the first times in the series where we're kind of at the same level as Will is. Like Will always comes in and he's like, there's this and that and that. He's got his little drum solo. You know, we're all like watching him, you know, play the drums like in the corner of the room. He's like, oh, I have uh, a little Will, factoid. I have a little factoid. Um, this episode is not the first crime scene of Francis Dollarhides that Will has visited. Ooh. The very first crime scene we ever saw in the pilot episode, that opening crime scene, yeah, was Francis Dollarhides' first murder. Interesting. Wow. Mm-hmm. There you go. Confirmed by Brian Fuller. That's uh. Well, and to so to <laughs> this point, I think. what they did knowing that now Mm -hmm. i'm like this must be why the murders that happen in this show up until now did not involve kids Mm -hmm. and did not involve sexual undertones because now that we get here like chilton discusses with hannibal like this guy's murdering entire families and it's like striking at the core of the American dream, right? Yeah. So because we didn't have any murders that, re- I mean, aside from, you know, the shit that we see from Mason Verger and then that one episode that, you know, season, what is it? Episode two or episode three of season one, yeah. um, which is not this, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you know, um, I think that's why, like, that's so genius because we get here now and it's like, this dude is the devil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, well, and I, even, we've, even it's like we've seen the evolution, you know, it's yeah. like there's an entire evolution that has happened. But I think right. that like talking about the Hannibal's conversation with Chilton is a perfect segue to talk about Hannibal oh. and where he is. Right. Before we leave it, Lisa, uh, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that I think 
I think the, the, our direct access to dollar hide that we're given by the, the, the story in this episode is really allows us to understand that there has been no other serial killer who is as prepared and meticulous, who has spent as much time creating himself, preparing mm-hmm. himself, all of those things, which is kind of what we need to understand about Hannibal as well. Maybe. Anyway, yeah. just sorry. I well, had a no, I mean, there. like, no, that's a, that I still have a good segue because if we're talking about like, you know, the time it's taken for Francis Hollerhide to develop himself, we're now three years into Hannibal in prison. So how has Hannibal evolved in his time at the asylum? I had a really hard time, like I always do, like really separating what is real and what is Hannibal filling in fantastically, like he always said he would, mind palace wise, um, in order to survive this loss of freedom. So he lives, so he's in this jail cell that's like all perfectly designed to his tastes. He appears to be like cooking and entertaining people at this like fancy dining table but is he really or are these like his imaginations of what his reality like he's he's altering his own reality in order to like survive this but and so normally we think of dissociation as like being tantamount to insanity but there's a very pointed conversation between him and Alana about how he's perfectly sane So I kind of just wanted to go into this and like where Hannibal is now. Do you guys, what do you guys see as being real and not real through Hannibal's eyes? I thought for sure that the dinners were, um, were imaginary until the dinner with Frederick Chilton, where he's using a plastic spoon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I noted the plastic spoon and that gave me pause too. So this is happening? But I think that that's intentional. I think it's intentionally trying to put us in a place where it's like, we're questioning what's real. Yeah, because Alana has a real wine glass, but then mm-hmm. she's also on the other side of the glass. Right side I, of the glass. Hannibal also had a wine glass. We don't know that it was glass, but he also yeah. had a wine glass. Yeah, I think the representation of it- It wasn't is- a Govino? <laughs> oh my um i think the representation of it is that the people he's having dinner with are never in the cell with him but he chooses to visualize wasn't his- frederick in the cell was he not mm-hmm. well i think I like in so. his i mean in that scene oh, he was, he was. in hannibal, that scene they're sitting at the same chained. table hannibal was chained, chained to the was table he? yeah and um and oh, Frederick man. also had Frederick also had a plastic spoon. Yeah. Yeah. This is why I'm saying I'm okay. like, I'm 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 unconvinced that any of that is real, that pieces of it are. So plastic yeah. spoon, real, chain, real. But how much else is actually real? Right. And it's like because it's like we can mix, you know, just because the scene is filmed the way it is, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, this is all real. It, yeah, totally. I think it's intentionally mixed to make us, to kind of get us in a confusing space. But Hannibal doesn't seem to be confused at all. No, no. he's he's very purposefully visualizing the way he wants things to be. He cannot mm-hmm. be in a um, sophisticated uh 
polite space, right? Like he can't do it. That's not given to him entirely. So he's visualizing it the way he wants it to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really wish Brian Fuller would just come on this podcast. I know. Explain to us. (laughs) Will you please just come on and tell us? (laughs) Brian. (laughs) I mean, I, I think, I think the, I think the main takeaway from all of this is something that uh, Justin was talking about in the last episode is that no matter where Hannibal's at, he's always in control. Like we are still in his headspace. Whoever comes to see him is still locked in his headspace. They're still in his office with him. The walls are still his office. He's still got this, you know, drawing utensils. Like it's mapped out exactly like his little therapy office, right? And whether it's real or not, uh, you better well be sure that you know you're stepping into his game again whenever mm-hmm. you visit him. Um, so, I mean, yeah, is did they design like his, you know, cell to look exactly like his office? Um, did they give him preferential treatment? Uh, you know, that maybe that's kind of cool if they did. I'm mean, like, if I ever get locked up for something, uh, you know, turn it into a gaming room, please. Uh, but yeah, like everybody who walks in there is, you know, they're sitting down in his little game room, mm. which is mm-hmm. uh, dangerous. Well, they probably, there's a certain element of, because this is how it kind of works, even in the real world to a degree with serial killers. You know, there's always, you know, what happened to this person? Where were they found? Where, where are they to be found? What, wh- how was this person disposed of? You know, the identification of victims. And prisoners are able to trade those four perks yeah sure. you know which are legally outlined you know mm-hmm. and thus cannot be denied because the person still has a lawyer um and hannibal has all kinds of bargaining chips <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah i i i saw that environment is real when i was watching it i was like so did i yeah i mean yeah. i thought to me what and I mean, I'm really intrigued by by Lisa's you know hypothesis here that not everything we're seeing is real. I, if Hannibal was dressed like a prisoner in the scene, then I figured he was that was real because that's not what he would choose, you know. Um, I did find myself wondering, did he cook? Did he prepare this food, or did someone else, according to his specifications? Because I can't imagine him being given access to flame or blades. <laughs> you know? well, yeah. Lisa, in her introduction of this question, said that Hannibal was cooking and entertaining people, not cooking people and entertaining. <laughs> no, entertaining. Yes. There's a very, but, but very I, specific distinction. I there, never, so. but we never, we, we we do see food being prepared, but we don't yes. see Hannibal being the yeah. one that is like prepared. Right. Yeah. I don't think yeah. they'd give him fire or any no, kind of fire like, or blades. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I do love a Hannibal Frederick Chilton scene, though. I have. Oh, yeah. oh God. So it fun. was delicious. It I, is just marvelous. Yeah, Al Frederick really has not love... learned his lesson at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's not in his nature. That's no, literally his character. Yeah, yeah. To not yeah. Learn his no, lessons. but still, and, you know, and to get horribly hurt as a result. Um, <laughs> but um, I really love how now that Hannibal has nothing to hide, how he's constantly reminding everyone he's in a conversation with. Yeah, I, I fed you people. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I stopped <laughs> drinking beer after I knew what you, after I learned what you put into it. You mean who? You mean who? (laughs) It's like I almost want him to wink after every single one. You know? I mean, it does make him a little bit more of a dick. He's a little bit more of a dick about it than he usually is. Oh my gosh. Well, Well, he's got to get his kicks somehow because he's not actually killing people anymore. Yeah. And I don't think this, it's too much of a spoiler to say that he becomes the bitchiest bitch in these <laughs> last episodes where you're just like, dude, you need to chill out. <laughs> like, all right. Attitude. This, this actually harkens me back to something I wanted to say in the previous episode, but I didn't because it was calling on this episode, sure. which is, you know, we now return to Hannibal's what I see is his utter lack of respect for Will's wishes, mm-hmm. you know, because he totally sends him that, that letter. You shouldn't come get your ass over here card. Yeah. You know what totally. I'm saying? You yeah, know, you and, definitely shouldn't come here. And there's, Do not come here. And there's no reason to think that's the first thing, his, his first communication with Will. Yeah. None, no. no reason to think that at all, you know, so. Mm-hmm. All right, Everything well, is fine. He... Nobody's being murdered here. <laughs> Also, Will, love your boundaries. Love them. Exactly. Yeah. Take care well, of since you. we're since we're 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 headed we're headed towards the uh, Will stuff, um, I'm gonna take us to break here because we're gonna talk all about Will after the break. Um, so we'll be right back to do that. See you in a minute. Hello, fellow fanables. If you are enjoying this conversation, be sure to like and subscribe to Popsicle on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you collect podcasts. You can also check out our other ongoing show that episode was in which we've discussed by The Last Man and the sixth season of The Expanse, and we'll have something else coming up soon. Follow us on Popsicle Pod at, um, on all social media platforms or sign up for our newsletter at popsiclepod.com for all upcoming and ongoing podcast and related information. That's Popsicle Pod, P-O-P-S-K-L-P-O-D. Thank you. Welcome back on that note. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Will, oh my God. So it's been three will years. It's, it's been, been three, three wills. Will. We have gone through a lot of wills by now. We that have that gone is probably been we are three years on. and we're on we're this like will, will now. We're on will number <laughs> like five or unclear. six. Yeah. How many wills oh, are this there? Are will. like nine? Like nine cat, like cat <laughs> lives? <laughs> Okay. I think there's infinite wills. Think infinite. Yeah, there are definitely infinite wills. (laughs) Anyway, this will is living his best life in a cabin in the woods with his cool as fuck wife and stepson and a bunch of stray dogs because you know he loves them and he missed them so much. Heaven. Um, Heaven. You know he seems all at peace and everything until Jack shows up. But it didn't really take that much. Like he didn't put up that much of a fight before being like, "Oh, all right, I'll go and look at more murders." I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Pretty much, like I don't think he was really that reticent to do it. Sure. Um, and so I just, I mean, 
do you think it's because he misses it, misses Hannibal? Or do you think that it's just like he's resigned to the inevitability of Hannibal and that it's just kind of like, oh, fine. Like I have to do it at some point, so I may as well just do it now. Um, and also, does anybody, has anybody ever cared what Will wants? <laughs> like ever in this entire show. Um, so let's talk about all this stuff. If Will has been people... thinking about oh, the, ahead, in, oh, sorry. If Will has been thinking about the, or been sitting in a place of thinking about the inevitability of Hannibal, I, I'm sorry, going out and getting yourself a wife and a kid and drawing them into your life in the circle of Hannibal is, I, I yeah, this is this is the only plot element of this entire series that I'm like it just doesn't quite work for me, and I get that it's it's canon for the character to go and have this, but to have this plot element fit in the middle of this story as opposed to like a starting point for Will, and then we see him leave it. I just I don't get it. I can't quite reconcile the will that we left in the previous episode, the will who went to Italy and did the things that will did in, in, in Europe, right. With a will that could in three years time, develop a healthy nurturing relationship with a woman, marry her and have a stepson or want to have those things in his life. I think he would would want want to to have those things. Yeah. Yeah, I think he would absolutely want to have those things. And so go and get them because he's so, he's trying so desperately to leave this past version of him behind. I would believe that. And I would believe that, that that's actually consistent with his character as we've seen. He would want them, but I don't think he could successfully achieve them maybe without Mm. being completely presenting a completely false face about who he is to these people. And that's not the sense that I get, right? Like, no, I, don't, I don't think he's, I don't, I don't think he's been I think he's presenting an aspirational face to them. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would be, trying to be I would the person buy the aspirational. Wants to be. It just yeah. rubs, it, it works the wrong way for me. And it, it's also, uh, yeah, I just don't, I've never I really gotten a, it, but. I have I think, a canon question for you. And maybe Justin, you know this maybe um in the movie slash the book doesn't an event happen where Hannibal or the tooth fairy uh does something to intervene in this new life that Will Graham built and that's why he gets involved uh I feel no. like I have a memory of that. Maybe no, that's wrong. I don't remember that. It's mm. the he gets involved because Jack Crawford comes because to him Jack and yes. comes help. to him. Yes. All right, I, all right. So that's yeah. that's all right. That's fair. And that is that's consistent with the movie. That's totally yeah. I was just like, is that what happens beforehand? Not that it really makes a difference because he gets involved regardless. Spoilers. Um, spoilers. Uh, I have What's a spoiler. <laughs> uh, it, oh, I do want to say though. No, Will gets involved. Like they couldn't devote too much time to Will having to be convinced, but yeah. I can certainly relate to something coming up where I'm like, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I don't ever want to do that. And then my wife yeah. says, I think you should do that. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like that's, you say so, that doesn't require it, it, it. The fact that it was simple yeah. does not mean mm-hmm. that it was easy. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Ah, okay. Like, 
like because uh, there are there are many things that I just you know yeah where I'm like I'm, I don't want to do that I don't I have no part of me if I was single mm-hmm. I would never do that mm-hmm. but yeah. if my wife says I don't think you'd be happy if you don't do it even though she could easily be wrong I'm not going to be the one to tell her and I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go do <laughs> well, what she told also, me to do <laughs> it's probably yeah. a huge impetus for why he does go do it because he's like I'm definitely going to intervene in a this path of a serial killer who's murdering families because I have a family now. Mm-hmm. If he didn't have a family, he may have just been like, y'all can yes. just y'all F, can F off, off as the day yeah. is long. Yeah. But he goes, I will, but it's like, yeah, I would, I would buy that if it wasn't like he so instantly sought out Hannibal. Like that's true. Yeah. Well, it took no, him but, almost no time to be like, you know who I need to talk to? I, Hannibal. I, this but guy. but the, there's also one super important scene before he does that. Yeah. And they really deeply establish Will doesn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, right. yeah, he sees some shit in the in the at the crime scene, but he doesn't see enough. He doesn't connect. Mm-hmm. And he, he needs- doesn't he doesn't regale us with the killer wants this. The killer is afraid of that. The killer, like, we don't no. get all that. Like, well, and he doesn't start off, that whole scene does not start off with this swoopy, I don't know what, the, what is that thing? What did we do? The metronome, the golden it? metronome. I always oh, think is of it, it? Is Kelly like I always the golden metronome, and I think that yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I always think of it as a, like, faulty, um, uh, one of those long tube lights that is, like, <laughs> swinging from the ceiling. I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, we don't, he doesn't start to do that while he's in the house until the very, very end. And mm-hmm. you, and that, we see a very controlled and calm will up until just a few seconds before that happens for him. And then and you see getting him agitated. Yeah. like yeah. doing yeah. the, the hyperventilating like thing. He's, but he doesn't, yeah. I don't think he wants to go there again. And that's why there's, mm-hmm. there's cognitive dissonance with him, like not wanting to get, go to that mental state again, I don't think. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's what he needs. That's why he, that's why he goes to Hannibal. It's tied to Hannibal. It's very you know? much tied to Hannibal right. at this, especially uh, at this point. Maybe not at the beginning, but now, yes, yeah. now it is intrinsically yeah. tied to Hannibal. It's, yeah, absolutely. So for him I, to do his job, yes. I don't want to invalidate the feelings that he expressed at the end of the previous episode. No, mm-hmm. I think he really was over it. I think, I think so. he really was like, you know, I, I, he's a bit broken. You know, that's that is the plot of red dragon. Like, you know, he is a broken man, you know, and his family has sort of put him back together again. Yeah. And there is something really wonderful about, you know, her saying to him, you know, you should go do this because I don't think you'll feel the same if he kills again. And he says, I won't, I'm going to be, I'm going to be different when I come back. And she says, yeah, but I won't. Yeah. And that is like, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is a really nice way of saying boo i got you yeah you know? mm-hmm. yeah well and you know and if we're getting it's really beautiful and one of the many yeah. reasons i love the yeah. character of molly yeah. if I we're going her. to have a hastily thrown together wife and family right because that's what we've got we've got this token you know it's almost a token female character to throw in of like not on this show no, no I wouldn't I would show. never no, call no, Molly book, a token I'm not saying I'm saying yeah. exactly I'm saying this is not what she is like the show oh, does okay. such yeah. a really good job of making her not that thing which she very easily could have been totally um mm-hmm. just by virtue of those interactions that we get mm-hmm. we, although yeah I do agree that it would have been nice to have 
who she is before she had a will to yes make her more of a, a character and less of a supporting character you know yes mm-hmm. I, I think as like okay. a first introduction to her I'm good with this mm-hmm. just because it's like I don't always need a backstory I can I kind of like to glean a backstory from someone's present actions and interactions with the other characters and I feel like this episode does a really good job of establishing the kind of character that she is and the kind of person that she is in these few moments without us needing to like have some exposition about like her last husband or whatever like it's I I think that right we don't need it what what I do need for a character and I don't really have it yet, like, except in how it relates to Will, is I need to know what a character wants. Like, mm. that's that's the thing that I feel like mm-hmm. I wish was there, there was more of. I don't care about her backstory. I don't care about her ex. Yeah, her but we don't want them to take yeah. any time away from no, the I abs. Agree. The abs or the butt <laughs> or the tattoo or the like we uh, I understand where they are putting their oh, are we back showing to the backstory. Of course we're always back we're, to abs. Yeah, we're back okay. to abs. Thorn, I want to say you so, have to say more on abs. I think that that also... way of bringing it back to salaciousness. I just yeah, really and I think on that note, I'm just gonna pass this over to Claire for now. <laughs> Come on on. Come Who's on, got Claire. this week's oh exquisite corpse? So I'm just going to let you have it, Claire. I, yes, we, and we do, we've got so many exquisite corpses in this one. We're back to our, you know, our traditional, you know, well understood crime scene. Um, but I, I actually don't really want to go into the actual crime scene that much yet. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a spoiler for Phil to say that we're going to have some opportunities to, to really explore the corpses, um, over the next few episodes. Um, I'm sorry. I have a question, actually. Yeah? Will, have you ever? Did you see the original Red Dragon, or have you read the book? Have I? Call you just Will called again. Phil yeah, Will, by the way. I'm hilarious. That's all right. I, Black I, people I, rhyme things. I appreciate just, the. You know, uh, it's confusing. I appreciate it. Uh, actually, I did see the film. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Ray, Ray Fiennes, as Kelly Sue said, blew me away. I thought I thought it was the best part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the worst part was Anthony Hopkins' ponytail. Oh my God, yes, that's so true. Oh, if he, the fact that they could depict Hannibal not thinking that ponytail was rude was, um, yeah, that just didn't quite work. Anyway, where I want to go with this exquisite corpse is back into my own childhood, um, where you, and we've said this very, you know, many times on the podcast, but I'll reiterate for those who are new that I grew up in a very sheltered and uh, devoid of any connection to pop culture kind you know, childhood. Um, I grew up in a very remote and rural area. I didn't go to the big cities very frequently. <laughs> um, and so m- my subversive way of educating myself about the world that I did not understand was reading books because that was what my parents would let me do and would let me do without a whole lot of supervision oddly enough. 
So my introduction to true crime was Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. And it was how I learned that being protected and living in a small community and where everybody's family and everybody knows each other, et cetera, et cetera, is not necessarily going to protect you. And that understanding what was evil was not something you could do. You couldn't understand evil. You couldn't figure out motivations. You couldn't, you couldn't know why something happened or why someone chose to do what they did. Um, and it, yeah, anyway, so yeah, it, it was just my introduction to true crime. And I've, I've, I've never been completely into true crime the way some people are into true crime. Right. But I am, I am, um, I spend, I have seasons of my life where I like, you know, really, um, immerse myself in these stories because it is always this question of like, why do people do what they do? Why, why, um, I don't know. So anybody else have some true crime, uh, connection? Um, you know, (laughs) that's what I'm bringing up here. Love it. Well, I mean, Frederick Chilton talks about like, and we mentioned it earlier in the show about this is striking at the core of the American dream. And that's kind of what, that's exactly what you're talking about with the in cold blood thing too, where it's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a sense that some psychopathic murderers have that the world as it has developed society, as it has developed is wrong you know, and either they take that very personally. And so they have to show their anger and rage at their not fitting into that dynamic, or they need like Hannibal does, they feel the need to shape the world to the way they see it. Um, and I don't know, it is a fascinating thing. That's why we have so many shows about it and so much content about Mm -hmm. it. Well, and, Um, and And I think the other thing that I learned from reading In Cold Blood was that there's not always, we shouldn't always just be stuck in the dissection of the evidence and literal fact, right? Like the way, the fact that this is kind of a novelization and it's Truman Capote, you know, weaving a story as well. I think in some ways that's, it's both harmful because you, you have a certain amount of, you know, creative license in dealing with facts, but you also have a better representation and ability to explore um, possibilities, I think as well. And, and that's what this show maybe does for us. And stories help us regular people understand and process these incomprehensible events. That's what storytelling does for us. It helps us process the stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, that's uh, coping, man. That's (laughs) That's what's interesting about this episode is we're left to process this without somebody holding our hand. As Mm -hmm. we were saying earlier, we Mm -hmm. don't have someone sort of, they're telling us who's doing what and why it's, 
yeah. we're left with images of a, a film wrapping around the red dragon. We're left with a will with the uh, in in the murder tableau of like strings, like reaching out to the wall. Like these images are very surreal, and we don't know how to process them yet because they're. Right. And I don't even think Dollar Hide. Uh, Lisa, you were just saying that the you know serial killers want to impress upon us something, but I think Dollarhide feels like something is impressing upon him. Oh there's yeah, this, there's this outside force yeah. that is beyond mm -hmm. him that is controlling him, and that he's trying to become. Uh, and and again, though, yeah. it's, it's out of our field of reference. Like we don't understand exactly what's mm -hmm. going on yet um, with all these images and, and beautiful images. That, yeah. that film wrapping this episode was i was like watching this episode the other night and taking all my notes on it and i was just like in all caps <laughs> like can we please get james hawkinson on this show <laughs> i would God, love please. to just gush to him about how fucking gorgeous everything yeah. Seriously. <laughs> yes. Um, I hate to interrupt but i want to be able to do the recommendation yeah, before i have to it. leave oh no yeah um, we're gonna we're ready to go Yes. No, so, that's okay. Um, you do you were... want me to segue or no? Did you just want to do that as the segue? Oh, no. <laughs> we 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 got so it recorded. The recommendation, it's on. Please. It's recorded. Just go. Go for it, Casey. Just go All right. Everybody, it. shut up. I'm going to recommend now. Everybody, shut up now. Kelly Sue is going to give us a recommendation because she okay, doesn't have any time go. left. I have uh, two recommendations because one of these certain people might not be down with. Um, so the first recommendation, and I don't know, maybe I've re recommended this already on this show. And if I have then scrap it, but, um, I want to recommend the Ted Bundy tapes on Netflix. It is a mini series or docu series, um, all about these interviews that these reporters and journalists did with Ted Bundy while he was in prison. Um, it is fascinating to look into how he was made through his own words um, and to really dive into what the end of his life was like. Um, it's terrifying. So for people who aren't down with spending many hours with Ted Bundy, skip it. Um, and instead, <laughs> go watch Luther. <laughs> this episode gives me such hardcore Luther vibes. <laughs> Um, because Luther is an incredible show on the BBC starring, of course, my beautiful husband, Idris Elba. Um, the performances are fantastic. There's a lot of hesitant hero, Will Graham-isms. Um, and the murders are scary, like super scary. Um, but also the triumphs of Luther throughout the show are fantastic. So those are my two recommendations based on this episode go watch both or one or none <laughs> or brother bear for a cleanser yeah i i i love it thanks kelly sue for those beautiful recommendations thank you claire for your exquisite corpse you're very and welcome. with that we are going to leave you until next week when we talk about season three episode nine and the woman clothed with the sun you can always help us by subscribing sharing and leaving a nice comment until next time <laughs> good dragon sounds good dragon sounds
This has been a Popsicle Podcast production. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it.